It can be really hard for us to relax at night. We're always thinking about covering crime. But the good news is our wonderful new sponsor, Via, has a terrific product that helps us unwind. Via Hemp has a wide range of terrific gummies of both the THC and THC-free varieties. They can help you with focus, recovery, sleep, creativity, or just plain enjoyment. These products legally ship to all 50 states. I really liked Zen in particular. This is a yummy blueberry option that lets you catch a chill sleep with help from CBN and CBD. It's really helped me turn off my brain and settle down for the night. I also got a shout out Flow State. It helped me feel energized throughout the day. Like not to brag, but I got a lot done. I'm talking about doing several interviews and editing a whole show from start to finish, not to mention jumping on some of the latest filings in the cases we cover. It really made me feel sharp and ready to tackle any challenge. I couldn't recommend this more. Via has so many great gummy options to choose from. Everything from guava berry low dose that allows you to microdose THC to the chill-inducing Delta 9 gummy dreams. Head to viahemp.com and use code MSHEET to receive 15% off and one free sample of their award-winning gummies. That's viahemp.com and use code MSHEET at checkout. Please support our show and tell them we sent you. Enhance your every day with Via Hemp. Again, if you're 21 and over, you can get 15% off plus a free pack of award-winning gummies with our exclusive code, msheet at viahemp.com. That's V-I-I-A-H-E-M-P dot com. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. We are recording this on Friday, December 30th, 2022, and earlier today... There was a court filing in the Richard Allen case. The defense attorneys filed a motion for discovery. These motions are pretty standard. Uh, You expect them to be filed in cases like this or virtually any criminal case whatsoever. We thought it might be interesting to go through it uh, paragraph by paragraph and see if there is anything in it which might offer some sort of clues or insights into what the defense attorneys may be thinking. Keep in mind that with episodes like this, we're reading through it and we're giving you our initial impressions and we're trying to give you a sense of, you know, what we have a good sense of and what we don't necessarily know and want more information about. 
we find, and I think a lot of our listeners find, that this is a helpful way to kind of all walk through it together and start to glean information. But you shouldn't take it as a definitive, uh, you know, authoritative ruling on every aspect of it. Because we, uh, you know, we are reporting on this like everybody else. And we, you know, often talk to experts afterwards who are able to clarify elements of things for us. And uh, so this is just our initial impressions. And, uh, you know, hopefully this can provide some context or at least spark some initial interesting conversations about the document. My name is Anya Kane. I'm a journalist. And I'm Kevin Greenlee. I'm an attorney. We first connected while looking into the Burger Chef murders, an Indiana cold case. Together, we built a spreadsheet documenting hundreds of cases of restaurant-related homicides. That original spreadsheet gave way to our podcast, The Murder Sheet. Now we maintain that same research-centric, investigative approach as we look into all sorts of homicides, including unsolved cases, historical crimes, and, of course, restaurant murders. We don't just chat about the headlines. Our podcast is a platform for our journalism. The Murder Sheet focuses on investigative reporting, thoughtful analysis, thorough research, and in-depth interviews. We're The Murder Sheet. And this is The Delphi Murders, a defense motion for discovery. One thing that it's important to remember is that discovery is basically the process by which the defense discovers all the information about the case from the prosecution. That's putting it in extreme layman's terms, but essentially, as Kevin has said on the show multiple times before, the power of the state to deprive somebody of their liberty is pretty awesome in the classical sense. It's it's awe-inspiring. It's, it's very intense. And... Basically, the state is presumed to have a lot more power than any individual defense attorney. So the prosecution has to basically turn over their entire case to the defense for the defense to look through and formulate a defense strategy. So with that said, why don't we start going through this? The defendant by counsel moves the state of Indiana to produce the following with regard to the above captioned cause of action, to wit, one. The names and last known addresses of persons whom the state of Indiana intends to call as witnesses, together with their written statements, recorded or taped statements, videotaped statements, memoranda containing substantially verbatim reports of their oral statements, and memoranda reporting or summarizing their oral statements, including but not limited to any person referred to as a, quote, confidential informant who offered up information that may lead to the discovery of relevant information in this cause. 
So is the fact that they're referencing confidential informant, is that boilerplate language that they would include no matter what? Or does that indicate that there's confidential informants in this whole mess? That, that's a good question. I guess uh, the obvious answer is we don't know. Yeah. Based on our reporting, there wasn't any confidential informant who led the police to Richard Allen. But there might be confidential informants who led to other suspects, right? Yes. So maybe that's what they're referencing? Yes. So if a confidential informant led them to say suspect A or something, then they'd want to know about that person because that could help them defend Richard Allen. So that actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean, can we, if thinking back, have we heard of a confidential informant being a factor in any one of the angles that we've studied, including Ron Logan, including uh, Kagan Klein? Not that I'm aware of, but of course, <laughs> the nature of confidential informants is that, you know, they're confidential. they're confidential. So I guess very possible that they've been all over the case and we just aren't aware because they're keeping that extra secret. Other than the reference to confidential informant, that's definitely a very standard ask. They're basically saying, give us the names and addresses of all the people you intend to call as witnesses and give us everything you have about what they plan to say. Two, the names and last known addresses of persons known by the state of Indiana to have knowledge pertinent to this cause of action, but who the state of Indiana does not intend to call as witnesses. So, yeah, basically, in the first paragraph, they said, give us the names of people who have important information about this case and about Richard Allen, who you intend to call. And that leaves a bit of a loophole because there's people out there who might have information that they don't intend to call. We want to talk to those people, too. And maybe we want to know why they don't intend to call them. Let's say, for instance, the at some point during the investigation, the police talked to a witness who had information suggesting that uh, John Smith was somehow involved in the crime. Since John Smith is not charged, they're not going to call that witness. But the defense still wants to know about that information because it might lead them to find out some crucial information that might help exonerate their client. So would this just be everybody named in the case file, which I'm sure is a sprawling case file? Would this be because otherwise I don't know how you could keep track of everybody who's like touched upon this case slightly. I think generally a prosecutor in a case like this would be well advised to err on the side of giving the defense too much. So just give them the case file, basically. Basically. Yeah. And I mean, this is kind of ironic, uh, not really ironic, but it, it's kind of funny because uh, in in the, the one of the last defense motions, it was basically like, you know, judge, can we meet you secretly so we don't have to tell the prosecution of our case? But then the defense, obviously, because of the way the system works, gets to basically say, give us your case file. So um, and again, there's a reason for that. It's because the state, you know, has the police to back them up and the defense, you know, is is working at a, at a disadvantage just by the, the nature of our system. Three. Any and all written or recorded statements and the substance of any oral statements made by the accused or by any other person alleging statements made by the defendant, regardless of whether the state of Indiana intends to call such persons as a witness or indicates the person is a confidential informant and a list of witnesses to the making and acknowledgement of such statements. 
So again, another another reference to the uh, confidential informant. Is that just standard boilerplate language, I guess? Like, would they just include that just in case there's any confidential informants they don't know about? Or, or does that indicate to you that there's a confidential informant in this? Uh, it's making me wonder if the state has somebody, a confidential informant, who says they overheard Richard Allen saying something incriminating. Okay. Do you know any of the rules around confidential informants? Because I imagine in some cases it's like we don't want to reveal their identity because they might get killed or something. But here it's like, I mean, I don't know. What are the rules? How do you how do you mitigate that with discovery where you have to give the defense everything? Often when they use confidential informants, they want to uh, protect the informant's identity for their protection basically because the informant might have the informant might face some sort of consequence for uh coming forward some sort of physical danger but of course uh the constitution gives every defendant the right to confront his accuser and if someone is saying something bad about you basically you should have the right to know who it is and what exactly so how how do criminal courts typically determine like do they just basically yeah, we'll give you the confidential informant. Is that usually how it goes? I don't know. Okay. Well, I guess we'll find out. Yeah. Um, In terms of, yeah, it seems like uh, also one one person that came to mind that we know was involved in this case that this uh, third paragraph reminded me of was the conservation officer who interrogated or interviewed rather Richard Allen outside of a grocery store in 2017 because this references the specific language references any other person alleging statements made by the defendant, right? That was a very important statement that Richard Allen made back in 2017 to another person. The defense admitted in their publicly released statement that something like that happened, but I wonder if they intend to call into question what that guy was told exactly. And thinking back to the probable cause affidavit, there's lots of things in there where it is claimed Richard Allen said this or said that. And I guess the defense and I guess us were curious, what were the circumstances under which Allen made those statements? And were they recorded? Yes. Uh, for the prosecution's perspective, they've got to hope that those things were recorded. Because... Otherwise, I think there's a lot. I mean, what we've heard from our experts that we've talked to is that there's a lot of damage the defense could do to the credibility of people or their statements. And, you know, by not having a recording, you're leaving a lot of that up to interpretation, I guess. And I would hope if these statements were made to law enforcement officers that he had received his Miranda rights first. Yes, exactly. We certainly know that it wasn't until after he had been incarcerated for a few weeks that he received the benefit of legal counsel. Now, with the conservation officer all the way back in 2017, it sounds like he was not a suspect at that time. So, I mean, that probably didn't need to be Mirandized if he was just thought of as a witness. But the present day 2022 statements he's absolutely a suspect that's why they're looking in his house so uh all of that would have you know that would that would be a pretty important question regarding the validity four any and all reports or statements of experts or other individuals who conducted any test experiment examination or comparison made in connection with this particular case 
including results of physical or mental examinations and of scientific tests, experiments, or comparisons, whether the state intends to use these reports or statements or not. Okay, so here we have um, basically give us everything you got on the bullet, right? If you had any psychiatrists or psychologists uh, talk to and examine Richard Allen, you need to give us reports of those meetings. Five, a statement as to whether the defendant or any other person who participated in the alleged crime was acting directly or indirectly at the investigation or on the behalf of the state of Indiana or one of its agents, and if so, state the names and addresses of said individuals. Okay, so bizarre wording. My interpretation of that is that they're wondering if anybody involved in the crime was acting as a confidential informant for law enforcement. Is that how you read it? Yeah, was was Alan or somebody else acting undercover? Jeez Louise, I don't know. That <laughs> uh, isn't there often a lot of conspiratorial talk about you know, in different cases, oh, the police covered it up because this person was acting as a CI at the time. And, like, there have been CIs that have killed people. I'm not saying it never happens, but I think that gets trotted out a lot. Like, it's a very common thing when it's not necessarily. Yeah. So this could be this could be indicating something more about a confidential informant that seems to be floating all around this document. Or it could be just kind of starting to sow more doubts about law enforcement, which, of course, it behooves the defense to do because... If law enforcement is saying, we think it's this guy, they want to be like, well, here's why they're wrong and here's why they're bad, <laughs> you know? And I, I'm going to say, it's, I, I think there's a typo here. There must be. It says it was acting directly or indirectly at the investigation. I think what they meant to say, uh, a statement as to whether the defendant or any other person who participated in the alleged crime was acting directly or indirectly at the instigation or on the behalf of the state of Indiana. Maybe that's some sort of entrapment situation. It, it's it's confusing. And like, I mean, because like, what you what what my dumb brain is reading this as is like, did the state of Indiana plan this murder? I mean, double homicide of two children? No, obviously not. But what are they implying here? I, I don't I don't know. I, we we can speculate. Maybe Alan or somebody else uh, was involved in some sort of undercover operation, trying to unravel the Anthony Schatz account mm-hmm. or something. I mean, I, I, I'm I'm just grasping at straws here, trying to figure out what exactly this means. I'm doing a face palm right now internally. I just I don't know. This they they seem to, between this and citing the Michael Thomas lawsuit. In, in their defense uh, statement to the press before the gag order And that down. comes up later in this document, too. Yeah, it does. Uh, it, this seems like there's a there's a real conspiratorial edge here, and I know they have to do whatever they can to defend their client, but, you know, I don't know. That's just... <laughs> and I think these also are very intelligent people who are using documents like this to try to communicate certain things. To the who- public who are going to run around with it and make a bunch of conjectures and, you know, yeah. And so I think this particular paragraph is going to get a lot of attention. Six, a statement as to any consideration and benefits incurred or offered the state of Indiana has given or intends to give any witnesses in exchange for his or her testimony, including but not limited to monies paid, a change of prison accommodations and or workstation, 
or any state action that could reasonably affect the witness's bias and disclosure of any and all state action its agent's actions take during the time the witness was cooperating. So, yeah, did Kagan Klein or some other person, a confidential informant perhaps who's in prison, did they get a good deal in order to give up information about Richard Allen? If so, tell us about it. It's pretty well documented that jailhouse snitches in particular can be quite unreliable because they have an incentive to be dishonest. So certainly makes sense for the defense to want to know, you know, were there any deals struck over this? Because that could be something they could pick apart at trial. Uh, we will continue with this document reading uh, right after a message from our sponsors. A weight loss journey can feel like a lonely struggle. But it doesn't have to be. For so many of us, lifestyle changes like deciding to lose weight, adopting a nutritious diet, and taking up fun exercises are all about putting our own health and wellness first. But it can be really hard to know where to begin or how to keep the weight off once we've seen some progress. Quick fixes like soup diets and juice cleanses are unsustainable. There's a much better way to embark on this journey that over 200,000 people have already chosen. We're talking about the Roe Body Program. Here's how it works. Roe gives you access to one of the most popular weight loss shots on the market. Their Roe Body Program then sets up a comprehensive weight loss program tailored to your specific lifestyle, health status, and goals. In addition to the weekly shot, you get one-on-one -on -one coaching with a registered nurse. That can help you adopt and stick with lifestyle changes like exercise routines and nutritious diets. It's a comprehensive program that sees participants lose 15 to 20% of their weight in a year on average. But the real benefit is that you keep that weight off. This is weight loss at its most sustainable. With Roe, the average weight loss is 15 to 20% of your weight in one year, in conjunction with healthy lifestyle changes. EMI and other eligibility criteria apply. Go to roe.co slash msheet. Sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. Go to roe.co slash msheet. That's roe.co slash msheet. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Let's get back to the document. Seven, the names and last known addresses of persons not intended to be called as the state of Indiana's witnesses, but who have been questioned or interviewed by the state of Indiana or its agents in preparation of this case, together with their relevant written or recorded statements, including memoranda reporting or summarizing their oral statements and any record of prior criminal convictions. Okay, so again, kind of sort of 
similar in line to some of the previous paragraphs. They want they want everybody. They want the whole case. They want everybody who was talking about other previous suspects or suspects who might be still in the mix but are not being charged right now. They want to know everything. Is that that's how I, I interpret that? Eight grand jury testimony of a witness once he or she has testified. So is there a grand jury in this case? There may be that we're not aware of. If so, I haven't heard about it. So that's well, interesting. I or mean, maybe it's a related case. Could be an unrelated case. Or a related case. Yes, not directly the Allen case, but, but otherwise. Um, and I think it's just, you know, grand. I mean, well, one thing that we've always said on this show is that, you know, we, we try to get scoops and we try to bring information to you as quickly as we can in a responsible fashion, but... We'll always be honest with you if we have no idea <laughs> what's yeah. going on. And um, the grand jury element of this is is certainly very intriguing and baffling. We don't know what it means. We'll try to figure it out. But oftentimes we're like several months late or several years late on on, <laughs> on certain elements of this case. And, and that's just because, you know, there have been leaks, but they do a pretty good job of keeping it pretty leak proof. Nine. A summary of any statement or conversation made by or engaged in by the defendant and overheard by any persons known to the state of Indiana and a list of any witnesses who overheard such statements or conversations together with any and all reports, documents, correspondence, and or videotapes made or received together with a statement in writing as to whether there has been any electronic surveillance or recordings of conversation to which the defendant was a party. So again, it seems like there is a concern that someone is saying they overheard Alan saying incriminating things. Would this also categorize the, the category would also involve, I imagine, like a wiretap? Yeah, a wiretap. Uh, yeah. Or or somebody recording him surreptitiously. Indiana is a one-party recording state, so. What does that mean? That basically means that if Kevin calls me and I'm trying to catch him or, you know, record him without his knowledge, I can do that legally. In some states, you can't. In some states, both parties on a conversation have to be aware of and approve the recording. In Indiana, only one person in the conversation has to be aware of it. That means if you're in Indiana and you're talking to someone else, you can secretly record the conversation. Yes. Now, in things like journalism, you know, ethical requirements typically state that you should tell somebody that you're recording. But in law enforcement or if you're trying to maybe get, you know, get a statement from somebody confessing or something incriminating, you don't have to do that. And also to be clear, you have to be a party to the conversation. So it's not like uh, I can set down my hidden recorder on a desk and then leave and then an hour later, Richard Allen and someone comes in and then they have a talk that doesn't involve me. Yeah. That would be illegal. No, it would have to be you are one of the people on the call. Yes. Or in the conversation. 10. A statement as to whether any telephone calls were made by the defendant following his arrest and whether the calls were taped or overheard by any persons known to the state of Indiana. If the call was taped, produce the tape recording or if the conversation was overheard, then produce a memorandum of the conversation overheard together with the names and addresses of all persons overhearing such conversation or conversations. So basically, he's arrested um, at the end of October 2022. And then a 
you know, not insubstantial time period goes by where he does not have counsel and he is kind of being shuttled around between jail and then later a Department of Corrections prison in Indiana. So as he's attempting to make contact and possibly, you know, if there's calls going on, they want to know what was said. Did he say anything incriminating in a phone call to somebody after he was arrested? Yeah. So pretty, pretty straightforward. And like, I guess I don't know the answer to this, but like, I'd be curious, like, are they putting a ton of thought into all of this? Like specifically apropos to their circumstance of their client? Or is this something where they're just really being thorough and covering all the possible bases, even things that they don't necessarily think were an issue? So like if he told them, I didn't call anybody, but they just want to be like doubly sure about every, you know, I don't know. I just I'd be curious about that. Uh, We'll probably ask some of our defense attorney and prosecution sources, uh, you know, in, in you know, that we have at this point, you know, what. What what does a boilerplate thing look like? And what does like a we specifically need to deal with this situation because of what Richard Allen told us thing look like, I guess. Exactly. Eleven. All phone records, books, papers, records, tapes, documents, photographs, videotapes, and other tangible objects and evidence which the state of Indiana may use in the prosecution of this matter or which were obtained from or belonged to the defendant or any witness, whether as substantive or demonstrative evidence. Again, they're, they're looking for phone records. So I guess, that, I guess that's, pre- that's a pretty standard request. Right. Uh, it's certainly been in the Logan search warrant and some other things. There were concerns about some photographs or video which may have been taken in some way to memorialize the crime. So I wonder, do you think that's something they might be going for there? Yeah, that sort of seems to be what's indicated. Um, and, and just kind of, yeah, they want to they know what the state plans to, to use because that'll give them a sense of what kind of person the state is portraying Alan as and also what their, you know, kind of highlights elements of their case against him. Twelve. A record of arrests, criminal convictions, and juvenile records which may be used of any witnesses who may be called by the state of Indiana, including, but not limited to, the defendant. So if you're calling a witness and that witness has a criminal record, we want to know about it because it might be relevant. Might might be relevant, might be used by us to basically... Impeach the witness. Yeah, demolish their credibility. 13. A record of arrests, criminal convictions, and juvenile records which may be used of any witness who is listed on the defense witness list, included but not limited to the defendant. So basically we want to know what, what what the deal is with our people so we can ensure that you don't impeach them and we can kind of prep for that. Exactly. They don't want to call somebody and then have the person be like, well, they did all these things and then it's like, oops. Um, they want to be braced for that. Fourteen. True copies of all written case reports and all other written reports, notes, memoranda, maps, drawings, or diagrams, written, drawn, or otherwise, prepared by the County Sheriff's Department, City Police Department, Indiana State Police Department, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, the County Medical Examiner's Office, and any other law enforcement agency or any private individual in connection with or pertaining to the investigation of the crime charged against the defendant. 
that's very standard. If you used any police notes or whatever in the preparation of this case, we need to know about it so we can see them and evaluate them. 15. A list of dates and times that the defendant appeared in any lineups, either in person or in a photo array. The names and addresses of persons who appeared in each of the lineups or photo arrays with the defendant. The names and addresses of any persons who viewed the lineups or photo array as alleged witnesses or victims, and what each of those persons stated regarding identification after viewing the lineups or photo arrays. I think after the probable cause affidavit was released, there was a lot of references to witnesses on the trail and in the vicinity of the trail on the day of the crime. And a lot of people wondered, well, did they ever give these witnesses the opportunity to say whether or not this person that I saw was Richard Allen or not? And it sounds like the defense attorneys won the answer to that question. Did these witnesses look at pictures of Richard Allen? Did they look at Richard Allen? And if so, did they make an identification? The, the, the witness statements... And this is just because of the nature of eyewitnesses. You know, we're a little bit all over the place. There were some consistencies. There were some inconsistencies. Some people didn't even see his face. So that could be a bit of a stumbling block for the prosecution in my mind. Uh, he does place himself at the scene. So I don't think the issue of whether he was there or not is in question. It's just like how useful are these witnesses? And um, I will say we have a guest coming up on an upcoming show uh, and and we'll be running this interview relatively shortly, but she talked a bit about, you know, why a photo lineup might not be so helpful five years out. 16, a statement as to whether or not the defendant, any vehicle in which he had an interest or his residence were searched following his arrest, either with or without a search warrant. And if so, a statement of information contained and the items seized as a result of the search. In addition, if the search was made pursuant to a court-authorized search warrant, produce a copy of the search warrant together with a copy of the return. Further, a statement regarding all areas searched in the investigation of this case, and a statement of information contained and the items seized as a result of the search. If the search was made by a court-authorized search warrant, produce a copy of the warrant together with a copy of the return and a transcription of testimony at the probable cause hearing to obtain the search warrant. If any search was made by consent, produce a copy of the consent to search form. With regards to all searches made in connection with this investigation, produce all reports, receipts, inventories, documents, tapes, and other tangible objects and evidence collected, along with a statement concerning where the evidence is currently stored. It sounds like there's a suggestion here that a search was made that we don't know about. Well, I mean... It sounds like they're saying a search may have been made after the arrest. Why where are you getting that from? What phrase? Uh the second line. A statement is whether or not the defendant, any vehicle in which he had an interest or, or his residence, were searched following his arrest. Oh, whoa, okay. So they're saying basically, or they're suggesting the possibility that there was a search that no one knows about that took place after the arrest. And if that is the case, we need to see the warrant or we're going to have a problem. That's how I read that. How do yeah, you read that? Yeah, that's fair. In general, there have been a lot of searches in this case that we know about. Yes. So they're also wanting all of that. What did you find at these other guys' houses and et cetera, you know? 
but yeah, your point that this this does indicate something a little bit more specific about Alan's case is interesting. Uh, and reading between the lines, it sounds like they have the warrant for the search prior to the arrest because they're not asking for that. They already got it. They're asking for, well, there was this other search. You searched his vehicle maybe or maybe his house and maybe you found something, but you need to show us the warrant. But that happened after the arrest. That's what it says here. This could be a problem if what they are suggesting is true. And it may not be. But it makes me wonder, was there a search after the arrest that we don't know about? And did that search uncover any evidence? Any additional evidence, right. Okay. Well, that's something to keep an eye out for. 17. A statement in writing by the prosecuting attorney that he has or has no information touching upon any matter of law or fact favorable to or exculpatory of the defendant or a written memorandum of such favorable or exculpatory information. So basically, don't sit on any evidence that actually helps our client, right? Is that basically it? Yeah, and there are little specifics there saying, well, do you have a written memorandum saying he is innocent? Why would they have that? Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> what I mean, they wouldn't. Why would they? So I, I, it seems like they're suggesting something that I'm not sure what it is. Yeah, always with this case, it's you get some information and it just raises like five more questions. 18. Any and all evidence in the possession or control of the state of Indiana or its agents, which may be favorable to the defendant and material to the issue of guilt or punishment, or could reasonably weaken or affect any evidence proposed to be introduced against the defendant, or is relevant to the subject matter or the charge filed herein or which in any manner may aid the defendant in the ascertainment of the truth. So again, if you have anything which may be favorable to the defendant, share it with us. That's pretty standard. And in fact, you know, the prosecution and the state of Indiana has a duty. Yeah, and they'll we, we assume that they will perform that, you know, as, as they always should in any criminal case. 19. Any and all demonstrative exhibits prepared by the state, its agents or experts, including but not limited to animations, charts, experiments, maps, reenactments. So basically, if you or one of your experts is preparing an exhibit to show the jury, we need to get a chance to see it first. As we talked about before, this could become a battle of the experts sort of trial. And so that's in reference to this. 20. Any report by any cellular carrier whose records were obtained to determine the location of where calls originated or were received by the identification of cellular tower sites. So they want the phone records. Phone records seem to be becoming important. We have uh, data around Richard Allen's phones listed in the probable cause affidavit against him. And uh, we had in the Ron Logan search warrant that we published, we had a number of references to cell phones, like what cell phones were where. So... The defense wants in on that. They want to know what, what, what that all says, I think. 21. Copies of any and all documents and audio video records pertaining to any completed or ongoing litigation, whether threatened or filed in a court of law involving the Carroll County Sheriff's Department, Tobe Lesenby, Tony Liggett, Michael Thomas, 
or any other law enforcement or civilian employee who was named as a potential witness or participant in said litigation, including but not limited to any negotiated settlement agreements resulting from said litigation. This gets back to uh, the lawsuits that uh, numerous parties, including Mike Thomas, have filed against Carroll County. We did a couple of episodes about those very recently. Before we get more into that, let's talk about the next few paragraphs, because they also concern the Thomas lawsuit. 22. Copies of any and all personnel files of Tobe Lesenby, Tony Liggett, and Michael Thomas related to their employment with the Carroll County Sheriff Department. 23. Copies of any and all documents and or and audio or video records pertaining to any completed or ongoing litigation, whether threatened or filed in a court of law, involving the Carroll County Sheriff's Department and the processing of any evidence in any criminal investigation dating back to February 13th, 2017. The defense is going to war on Carroll County, specifically the Carroll County Sheriff's Office. That's what's happening here. We did a previous episode talking about the problems with the Thomas lawsuit and the problems with uh, the prior Hatch Act lawsuit and uh, filed against the Carroll County Sheriff's Department. We will include a link to those episodes in our show notes so you can listen to what we had to say in more depth. But um, basically, the defense has indicated that they plan to go to war with the county. They're going to try to impeach the credibility of the uh, outgoing sheriff, Tobe Lesenby, the incoming sheriff, Tony Liggett. Um, and, and yeah. it's a basis they're going to use these lawsuits, which to cut to the chase, you can listen to our episodes. We weren't impressed with those lawsuits. Well, the first one was outright frivolous. It was just a frivolous, bad faith lawsuit, the the Hatch Act one. The Thomas one uh, dragged the Delphi case into it for reasons that are very unclear to us and seem self-serving and cynical. So... Yeah, that's going to be interesting if a former uh, first deputy, chief deputy of the Carroll County Sheriff's Office ends up helping somebody dodge a murder <laughs> conviction in the Delphi case because they fired a, they filed a sour grapes lawsuit against their former employer. That will be interesting. Yes, as I think we said in the episode, if by chance Richard Allen gets exonerated in a court of law, we would like that to be because he was actually innocent of the crime and not because of some frivolous lawsuit filed by one party or by some sour grape lawsuit filed by someone else, which which basically gave the defense in this case a way to try to stir up reasonable doubt. To cudgel the Carroll County Sheriff's Office, which we're certain is not perfect, but it, these the criticisms they got from these lawsuits just seemed pretty <laughs> weak. 24. A complete list of any individuals who assisted in any way with the investigation associated with the crimes alleged in this case, including the name, address, and contact information of all individuals. So again, that seems to be a boilerplate thing, but it could become complicated in a case like this, because how do you define who assisted in an investigation. Yeah, if you, if you think of everybody who sent a tip to the tip line, just the idea of compiling all that information about every single tipster just sounds daunting. Yeah, so it gets down to how do you define who assisted. 25. 
Documentation, photos, videos, and or audio recordings associated with any viewings facilitated by law enforcement authorities at or near the Freedom Bridge slash Monon Trail involving persons of interest, suspects, or witnesses associated with the criminal charges lodged against Richard Allen in this matter. What does this mean? <laughs> viewings. I, I guess just reading it literally, uh, maybe at some point they had witnesses. Go back to the trail? Yeah, and go back to the trail and discuss what they saw or maybe even look at pictures of people or, yeah, you know. And I guess my question would be, did that happen a long time ago? Or did that happen very recently? 26. Pursuant to Rule 404 of the Indiana Rules of Evidence, you are requested to state the general nature of any evidence of other crimes, wrongs, or acts of the defendant or any anticipated defense witness which the state intends to offer for any purpose and state which exception the state would rely upon as contained in Indiana Rules of Evidence Rule 404B for its admission. You are also requested to supply the names and last known addresses of all witnesses that may be called to testify as to any evidence of other crimes, wrongs, or acts of the defendant or any defense witness and specify the other crime, wrong, or act to which each witness may be testifying. So Rule 404 generally deals with character evidence. In other words, uh, can you use someone's bad character on a certain circumstance to show whether this is a bad person? And since he's a bad person, he may have done this other crime as well. Okay. So that would be applied to Richard Allen in this case, basically saying, remember that time you did this bad thing? Yeah, they say if you have any evidence saying that he's done something bad in the past and you're wanting to use that as part of your case, you need to tell us about it and tell us why you'd be allowed to use that under an exception in uh, Rule 404B. I have a silly question. <laughs> Does that just mean crimes? Or no. it could just be that time you were a jerk? Yeah, and then we look how they phrase it. Evidence of other crimes, wrongs, or acts. So, like, that time you freaked out at an Arby's and yelled at the cashier and threatened to kill them. Not Maybe no one pressed charges. It wasn't, a, you know, didn't get adjudicated, but you were a real jerk and you really flew out the handle. That didn't happen. I'm just making that yeah. up. Um, I just, okay, that's interesting. So they're kind of braced. It seems like they're bracing for perhaps the possibility that the prosecution could bring out other stuff about Alan that's not necessarily directed to directly related to Delphi. Let's use your uh, Arby's uh, example as a way to discuss some circumstances in which this might be allowed to be admitted in court. Uh, you're not. So you couldn't say, oh, John Smith acted angry at an Arby's. Therefore, it's easy for us to believe that he acted angrily on another occasion six months later that was totally different. And boy, let's talk a lot about this bad Arby's thing. You can't do that. But you could bring it up if the Arby's incident was somehow uh, relevant to show uh, a motive. Let's say a person yells at someone in the RV saying, you cheated me out of my change. And then later that person ends up dead. 
Right. You, you So there are ways you can use that kind of character evidence, but you can't use it to establish a person's bad character. What if, what if like you, 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 yeah, you cheated me out of my change. This always happens at Arby's. I hate Arby's. And then, and then uh, people at an Arby's across the town end up dead. And maybe they think you're targeting Arby's. That's a little bit like less connected, but would that be allowed? Like you've, did, you've expressed that you hate Arby's and, and want bad things to happen to the company and its employees. Well, I'll read you what it says in the rule. Uh, you can use uh, this kind of evidence for other purposes, such as proving motive, opportunity, intent, preparation, plan, knowledge, identity, absence of mistake, or lack of accident. Okay. Well, if you've, yeah, I mean, that would go towards motive if then you want to punish Arby's by killing people at Arby's. Yeah. So. You just can't use it. So, hey, this, this person acted up in an Arby's. That shows he has a temper. And look, he must have used that bad temper here. Yeah, too. and then he, you know, killed his wife seven months later. Yeah, that, so the, it has to, there has to be some link, basically. So they're saying if you have something you're going to use on uh, Alan like that, you got to tell us about it. 27. Pursuant to Rule 404 of the Indiana Rules of Evidence... You are requested to state the general nature of any evidence of other crimes, wrongs, acts, or acts of any witness which the state may call to testify in this matter for any purpose. So they're also asking for this for all witnesses. So does the does this does this rule also it doesn't just apply to the defendant, it applies to anyone? It, it applies to evidence in a trial. So like if a witness for the prosecution once went up to Richard Allen and said you know, you're terrible, I'm going to ruin your life. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Just, I mean, again, that didn't happen either. I just am thinking of, hypothetically, that could be used to kind of be like, well, don't believe this person. 28. Pursuant to Rule 405 of the Indiana Rules of Evidence, you are requested to provide the undersigned with any and all relevant specific instances of conduct to be used by the state in cross-examination relative to evidence of character or a trait of character of any person which is material to any of the criminal charges in this cause. So yeah, that's that's basically more of the same. If, if you're intending to use this evidence in cross-examination against some of our witnesses, you got to let us know so we can be prepared for it. 29. A copy of any information collected by or in the possession of the prosecutor or his or her office pertaining to or informing him or her regarding any prospective jurors that might be called to serve in this case. The jury selection process has not yet begun, so what does this refer to? Is this just a forward-looking instruction? Do they have, like, a no-fly list for juries? I think this this might be related to the change of venue request. You know, we want to know who is in the jury pool. Oh, are they... Like, are they thinking maybe Carroll County's run their own studies like the defense has being like, okay, here's what people think about the Delphi case and what they're looking up. So if so, tell us about it. Okay, that makes more sense. The disclosure and production shall be made without regard to whether the evidence to be disclosed and produced is deemed admissible at the trial herein. All responses shall be reasonably supplemented, corrected, or amended when additional and or different information and material becomes available. And that is the end of the document. And it's signed by Bradley A. Rosie, the counsel for the defendant. And it notes that uh, 
copies of the documents were also filed for, you know, or given to the Carroll County Prosecutor's Office and Andrew J. Baldwin, Rosie's co-counsel. So, yeah, there's some really interesting stuff in there. Uh, it's not, it's kind of hard to tell with a document like this, and I think this is really important to state that, you know, some things may just be an attorney ensuring that he's making his language as broad and, spe- you know, both broad and that it's going to encompass everything, but also specific enough that they're not forgetting anything. Doesn't necessarily mean that the case is going to turn upon any of the factors we brought up today, but it just, you know, it's something interesting to look at because it kind of gives us a sense of what general things are being talked about behind the scenes. And at the very least, it will give us all something to think about over the holiday weekend. We'd like to thank you all for listening to our podcast this year. And we hope you have a good holiday. Happy New Year. Thanks so much for listening to The Murder Sheet. If you have a tip concerning one of the cases we cover, please email us at murdersheet at gmail.com. If you have actionable information about an unsolved crime, please report it to the appropriate authorities. If you're interested in joining our Patreon, that's available at www.patreon.com slash murdersheet. If you want to tip us a bit of money for records requests, you can do so at www.buymeacoffee.com slash murdersheet. We very much appreciate any support. Special thanks to Kevin Tyler Greenley, who composed the music for the murder sheet, and who you can find on the web at kevintg.com. If you're looking to talk with other listeners about a case we've covered, you can join the Murder Sheet discussion group on Facebook. We mostly focus our time on research and reporting, so we're not on social media much. We do try to check our email account, but we ask for patience as we often receive a lot of messages. Thanks again for listening.